0: Confident in the world, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 25. Why does it seem I get all the oxymoron titles? And these unprecedented times in lockdown, but now being slightly eased, and the possibility of 30 people gathering here, joining me in the sanctuary. How can one be confident in the world? But in this case, it has another meaning, as we will see years ago when i was in sales i went to a customer's new product launch where they had two acrobats performing on long curtain-like ribbons that were about 30 feet high In perfect symmetry and timing they tumbled and twisted in many ways that i could never do and i could only imagine how many hours they must have spent training to get into that kind of shape It made me think that to perform like this they had to be confident in their own ability as well as the ability of their partner. They also needed to be confident in the work of the engineers who rigged up the curtains. However, they needed one more thing. An arena. Without that, how could we, the audience, be wowed by their talent? So far in this series, we have seen that Christians need to be confident in the gospel and in their identity in Christ. While our audience may not be spellbound in silent wonder, nor erupting in wild applause, as we go about our daily lives, we are nonetheless called to live out our identity in life's arena. Just like these early Christians, we are called to live a Jesus-shaped life in full view of our employers, our colleagues, our customers, our families, and our friends. If we all remain in our own bubbles, and hopefully we won't, we cannot shape society for the better. We cannot reveal Jesus to those he longs to reach. This passage in 1 Peter could be interpreted as No Sex Please, We're British. Who can remember back in 1973 when the play first came out? The story is about a newly married couple and the husband lives above the bank where he works. The wife purchased some Scandinavian glasses by mail order and receives, well I'll stop there before we get shut down again, Depending upon which translation you grew up with, it would be be so easy to read this as abstaining from sexual desires or fleshly lusts. and miss the true meaning of this passage. Now, I'm not denying that it is not saying that, but it is saying a lot more. If you want to look up the sins of the flesh, look at Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21, and you'll be surprised how many are listed there. However, the main reason Peter was so committed to the early church refraining from such desires was because the church was under fire. Two weeks ago, Katie spoke of Christians being blamed for the fire in Jerusalem, where in fact it was due to the emperor Nero. And now slanderous and untrue charges were continually being made against the Christians. And the only way to put the fire out figuratively was to live a life so perfectly that such charges would be obviously untrue. In the authorised version, AV, written in the 1700s, it talks about having your conversation honest. And in today's language, we would read it as speaking the truth. However, it is much more than that. It's about a person's whole conduct, words, actions, And being totally transparent so that if someone was accused of something people would see by the way they lived their life that such a claim would be false or even ridiculous that is how we should live our lives did you know the best argument for christianity is a real christian and whether we like it or not Every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. So if we lead good examples, great. But if not, all Christians are judged by that. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven amazing fact in history that by their lives these Christians did defeat the slanders and accusations against them. In the early part of the third century Celsus made an attack upon all Christians in which he accused them of ignorance and foolishness, superstition and much more but never of immorality. In the fourth century Eusebius the great church historian wrote The splendour of the Catholic Lower Sea Church, and only true church, grew in magnitude and power. For a while, persecution did cease. But it was not the end of it, as Christians would never admit that Caesar was Lord. And by not doing that, put their own lives at risk. So our challenge is... That we should live our daily lives in such a way that commends Christianity to all those who still do not believe. Who do you look up to in the Christian faith? Was it the person who led you to Christ? Was it the faithful person, so full of wisdom and grace but hardly ever said anything? Was it a youth worker who tirelessly gave of time and energy when you needed guidance? Or was it someone like Fred who just radiated Christ's love and presence wherever he went and to whoever he spoke to? You see, while we have Jesus' life as an example in Scripture, it's good to know and see someone who is leading that example that we should all follow. You see, if we want to please God, we must serve his will, to experience his blessing, and not be rebels against society, but rather live positive lives, and by being obedient citizens, considerate neighbors, diligent and faithful employees, and not to complain of unjust treatment. That's a tough one. But it goes on more. We must be loving and devoted husbands and wives, which will not only bless us as individuals, but will obtain God's blessing. I'm reminded of when I first became a Christian at 18. I was running a petrol station at Fursdown on the A30. I hadn't really noticed it before, but my boss not only swore a lot, but also blasphemed a lot. I lasted a week before I actually said to him, please, would you stop taking my Lord's name in vain? I can't remember if he went green before red or red before green. And then came out with more expletives than usual. Ending with, if you feel that strongly, why don't you go and join a nunnery? Hmm. For a hot-blooded 18-year-old, visions of Audrey Hepburn and Julie Andrews seemed a tempting thought. In verse 17 it says, Honour everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the emperor. To us, that makes perfect sense. However, when Peter wrote this letter, it was something quite new. There were reported to be a minimum of 25%, but more likely 90% of the population being slaves in the first century. Whatever the accurate figure was, Slaves were counted as a significant chunk of the population. The roles they performed and the way they were treated varied enormously too. They worked as housekeepers, farm labourers, construction workers, doctors, teachers, cooks, and estate managers, and many more. Some fared well. And many went to buy their own freedom. Further, their treatment was atrocious cramped and squalid living quarters, meagre rations, barely clothed, sexually exploited, and regularly beaten. You see, being a slave did not just affect how you were treated, your living conditions, or your autonomy, it went even deeper being a slave was an identity or perhaps more accurately a non-identity often regarded as subhuman even aristotle referred to slaves as human tools so to be a living to be a christian slave was like a living paradox In the eyes of God you were honoured and free. In the eyes of the world you were dishonest or dishonoured and trapped. That is why Peter wanted these slaves to see themselves in the light of chapter 2 verse 12. They could live in a way that would help those around them see something of God. Verse 12 says, conduct yourselves honourably among the Gentiles. So... so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honourable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. As we've been hearing in the news recently, slavery was abolished in America on December the 6th, 1865, and the UK earlier in 1807. So we might think it unnecessary to talk about it now, However, one thing is for sure, it won't go away. And seeing statues pulled down and now being taken down shows the intensity and passion around it. We might even look down our noses at such a world without realizing that in many parts of today's supposedly free Western society, there are many people in fundamentally the same position often hidden from view, working long hours and for minimal pay, unable to take time off or look for another job, having to support families, where to lose even a single day's pay, and perhaps their jobs as well, could be disastrous. They are all slave but in name. We only hear about them when disaster strikes, such as the Morecambe Bay Cockle disaster in 2004, where 21 Chinese immigrants drowned. More recently, in 2017, in Bradford, where teenage girls were used as sex slaves. And we all now look at pop-up car washers to see if the workers are malnourished, frightened, afraid sadly we see modern day slavery all around us but like then and for us now peter reminds us of the message of the unjust crucified messiah he was one man that deserved nothing but praise and gratitude and yet they rejected him beat him up and killed him so peter draws us to isaiah 53 where the royal figure of the servant called to carry out God's worldwide saving plan does so by being unjustly treated, being insulted but not responding, who suffers without throwing back curses that his torturers. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Peter reminds us that we are all like sheep, lost sheep. But the wound which he suffered gave us healing. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Clearly we see that Jesus the Messiah took upon himself the punishment that his people deserved. Only Israel's Messiah and the one true Lord could represent the others. Only he alone could completely and appropriately stand in for them. Only now can we fully see why Peter feels it's so important to say what he does about slaves and masters and other things later in the letter, as we will see. He is not saying be passive while suffering violence, but urging them to realize somehow the sufferings of the Messiah are not the only means by which we ourselves are rescued from our sin. They are the means, when offered through the life of his people, by which the world itself may be brought into a new place. Hard as it is to believe, Peter believes that death, Peter believes the death and resurrection of Jesus was and is the point around which everything else in the world revolves. Somehow he is saying we must all see the unjust suffering of God's people as caught up with the suffering of his son. Recently in one of the video clips shown we had Christians from all over the world singing a song. Did you like me notice the ones with the faces were marked out? So not to identify the individuals who lived in a persecuted country. While we may feel helpless somehow in prayer and in campaigning, as we can do, those of us who read 1 Peter in Comfortable Freedom have a deep responsibility to help our brothers and sisters for whom the persecution of which Peter speaks of is a daily reality it is because of jesus death and resurrection that we can be confident in this world take a moment to thank god for your own situation and pray for those who are facing persecution now in countries where the good news of jesus christ is forbidden Amen.